brash manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist churches. And now, here's Pastor Garrett. Happy Sabbath again, everyone. It's always a blessing to be with you on the Lord's Day. Just really excited about what's going on, not just with that student Bible study that we have down in Big Rapids, but the Lord is moving upon his people, amen? And we know that we are his people, but there are people that are not of this flock that are also seeing and listening to things. And I'm just excited to see the Lord at work still in 2021, amen? God is never going to stop working for the salvation of humanity. He has already succeeded, and and he's finally ready to put on those finishing touches. We don't know when that time will be, but I'm hopeful that it's very soon. Today we're going to be taking a look at the scripture reading that we looked at today, and it is probably one of the greatest examples, greatest verses of righteousness by faith in the Old Testament that we find. Some would argue it's one of the greatest texts of righteousness by faith that we find in the entire Bible, but we're going to look at the story and draw some comparisons to our day today. But before we do, we need to have a word of prayer, don't we? So if you would bow your heads with me, I'm going to kneel here. Father, Lord, we thank you that we can be here in your house again on your Sabbath. We want all things to be about you today. We want to learn from you. We want to worship you. We want to praise you. Father, you are our God, and we long to be your people. And Father, we know that as we read your word, you are going to speak to us. Help us not to try and put our own understanding on your word, but Father, we want your understanding. We pray in your name. Amen. So let's go ahead and dive right into this story here in Genesis. If you'd go with me there to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to be in the book of Genesis pretty much all day today. Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to begin this story right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to take a look here at verse 2. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2. And notice what it says. Now, before I get started, I just want to make mention that this is before Abraham's name has been changed, right? His name is Abram at this point, and Sarah's name hasn't been changed, right? It's Sarai, or however you want to pronounce it. So when I'm reading the scripture, when I'm talking about this, sometimes without realizing it, I'll mention Abram as Abraham and Abraham as Abram. So forgive me for that. It's the same person, right? But here in Genesis 15, we find that Abraham is still Abram. In verse 2, and Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? The steward of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. 
And Abram said, Behold, to me you have given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So taking a look at this verse here, we find that Abram has a problem. We know from Scripture that Abram has been blessed with quite a bit of wealth, and he's nearing a very old age, and as he looks around his household, he's disappointed. He's not disappointed that God has not blessed him because God indeed had blessed him. But Abram not only wants to have somebody to give this birthright, if you want to put it that way, to, but Abram also wants to continue on his family name like anyone would, right? And as he looks around, he notices, and it's not the first time, but he brings to God's attention, who am I going to pass all of this on to? I'm childless, and my wife is 90, and I'm a lot older than even that. Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And he mentions here in verse 3, he said, You have given me no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. So in other words, what he's saying here is, although I have no children, he was thinking about doing something that was common at the time. Abram was wealthy enough that he had quite a few employees, let's put it that way. Sometimes the Bible calls the employees manservants or maidservants. Sometimes the word is used as slaves. Now, biblical slavery and the slavery that we think of when we hear that word are very different types of slavery. We don't have time to get into that today. But Abram looks and says, Lord, if I don't have any children, I'm going to be forced to give everything that I have to my best servant, Eleazar, which was common at the time. If you did not have any children, you could adopt somebody into your family, such as this man, to take on your family name, to continue that name, and also be the heir as well. But Abram really wanted a child. And notice what God says here in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. Just pausing there. I love in the Bible when somebody asks God for something that God responds. Amen. God still does that today. Do you believe that? God still will respond today. And God does right here in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This, referencing Eleazar, shall not be your heir. But he that shall come forth out of you, your own bowels, will be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look towards heaven and tell the stars if you be able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your seed be. So here we see the classic promise of God to Abram, right? Abram brings God a promise. I have no children. And God says, I am going to not just give you a child, but I'm going to give your offspring like the stars of the sky. You won't be able to count them all. This must have made Abram excited, right? He must have been overjoyed, but he also must have scratched his head a little bit and thought, how are you going to get this done, God? I'm in my late 90s, basically 100 at this point, Sarah's about 90. How are you going to have a child come from me 
and from her. But I love what our scripture verse said there in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for what? Righteousness. Abram didn't know exactly how God was going to do this, but he believed that God was going to do it with his whole heart. If he didn't believe with his whole heart, God would not have counted it to him as righteousness, right? So this was a true believing that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Praise the Lord. However, time went by. And as time went by, they looked around and they thought to themselves, we still don't have any children. We understand that God has given us this promise, but there's no child. And we find their solution to this problem, if you want to even call it a problem, right? Just pause in there for just a minute. There was no problem because God had already said it was taken care of. Amen? But the problem began when Abram and Sarah got into their own heads and made it a problem. And you find it in chapter 16. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing. She blames God. I pray you, go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Come on. God had promised. And when we read this story, often, and I believe unfairly, Sarah gets almost all of the blame, right? Sarah, according to the Bible, this is Sarah's original idea. She asks Abram to do this. And Abram, being a man of God, what should he have done? No, because I have complete faith that God is going to do what he does. But he doesn't. For whatever reason, the Bible doesn't, in this text, specifically tell us why. But he goes along with it. And what's interesting, and this is kind of a little bit off topic, but in 16 verse 3, the last word there said that Abram knew her and gave him as wife, right? Abram and Sarah recognized Hagar as Abram's second wife. But you know, in the biblical narrative, God never recognizes this marriage as legitimate. Not once does God call Hagar Abram's wife. He calls her other things. Take, take a look at this, just for instance. We're already in chapter 16. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 here. God is talking, and notice what he says. And he said, Hagar, not Abraham's wife, but Sarah's maid. When come you? And where will you go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarah. Verse 9, again. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Not return to your husband. But notice what it says. 
return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hands. So in other words, God recognizes Hagar not as Abram's second wife, but he recognizes Hagar as Hagar. Amen. It's interesting, and we don't have time to look at it this morning. You could preach whole sermons on the relationship of Hagar and God. It's fascinating. But Hagar and God, this relationship, you can just see how kindly that God deals with Hagar. I mean, he looks out for her. He calls her by name. He provides for her. He makes sure that she's taken care of the rest of her life. God is good to Hagar. In fact, you can read this for yourselves later. Hagar is the only one in the Bible that gives God a name. She actually comes to God and has a special name that she calls God. No one else there in Scripture does that, but Hagar does. They have this special relationship that we don't have time to get into today. But let's get back to the point. There was no problem until Abram and Sarah had made one. Now notice this. Abram and Sarah both recognized that they could not have children. Sarah even says that her womb is dead. You can read that in scripture, right? And when they recognized their deadness, if you want to put it that way, they try to take matters into their own hands and outthink or go around or help out God in his plan. And what did that produce? It produced sin. Ultimately, it produced a curse, right? Now, how do we get this to us today? Let's take a look at a few other things here. Revelation, if you want to go there with me. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the Laodicean message here. But one thing for Abram and Sarah that you have to recognize and give them credit for is that they recognize that they could not produce children, right? Sarah recognizes and rightly diagnoses that her womb is dead. At least they got it. But in Revelation, we find something very different here. Right after Jesus speaks of the church of Laodicea as lukewarm, I know that you've all read this verse, but Revelation 3, verse 17, it says, Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Sarah recognized her problem. We often don't. You see the difference? When Abram came to Sarah and said that God was going to have a baby through her, that God was going to give them a child no matter how old she was, Sarah didn't respond with, well, I know that I may look 90, but I'm really 30. It's just a number. Of course I can have a child. That's laughable, isn't it? Because it's simply being in a fantasy world or it's just simply 
not true. It's foolish. But in reality, that's the same thing that we do all the time. Not to be too pointed here, but I believe it's the reality of the matter, and it's what the Bible is trying to show us. But you are even more dead spiritually than the womb of Sarah. Just think about that for a minute. We are as dead, if not more so. It is more possible for Sarah to have a child at 90 than for you to produce a righteous act by yourself. Just think about that for just a minute. And the thing is, Sarah knew it, and we often don't. We view ourselves as totally fine. We view ourselves as in the prime of our life. We view ourselves as rich and doing just fine. We can produce spiritual things. We can have the fruits of the Spirit all on our own. If you think that you're producing the fruits of the Spirit and you do not have God, what kinds of fruits are you producing? It's a difficult question to answer. But the solution is the same for both problems. But notice, just as Abram and Sarah, when they tried to take matters into their own hands, they not only failed, but it produced sin. When we finally come to the point where we recognize that we are as dead as Sarah's womb, spiritually speaking. Too often, we do not go to God, but we do the same thing as Abram and Sarah did. We try and take matters into our own hands, right? And in trying to take matters into our own hands, spiritually speaking, when we try to work ourselves to heaven, when we try to produce a spiritual relationship with the church and not God? When we try and do righteous things on our own, friends, when we do that without the blessing or without the Spirit of God, then we are doing the same thing as Abram and Sarah did in a different light. When you try and do this on your own, when you try and walk out of step with God, even though you might think you're doing the right thing, it will only produce one thing, and it's sin. Sin and a mess. But notice here, go back to Genesis. I love this. Genesis 18. I mean, this is righteousness by faith right here. Genesis 18. 14, God is talking. Abram and Sarah had already made a tragic mess of things. And look how God responds. Genesis 18, 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. Praise the Lord. Amen. Even though Abram and Sarah completely ignored the promise of God 
and trying to do it on their own and sinned in the process, even though they royally messed things up, God comes back and says, my promise is still valid. You will both have a child together at the appointed time, at my appointed time. That promise is still yours. Friends, today, all of us have royally messed things up. Maybe not just like this instance in the Bible, but you know where you sit spiritually, right? We know that we have done a very similar thing as Abram and Sarah, and this promise is just as much for you as it was for them. Is anything impossible for God? Everything is possible for God. Amen? Just like the New Testament. You know, so many people quote the New Testament, and they quote the verses like, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a beautiful text. But here, even in the Old Testament, just a few chapters in, you find the message of righteousness by faith and a type or a symbol of the Messiah. Because notice, well, before we get there, look how Sarah responds to this. Verse 15. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, you guys know this story, but just previous to this promise of God, these men came to Abram and said, you will have a son, right? And how did Sarah respond to that? With laughter. She believed that a woman of her age having a child was laughable. And it kind of is. But with God, nothing is impossible. And we do the same, just like Sarah did. You mean to tell me, some may say, and I think we've all been here, but you mean to tell me that God can take my hard heart and make it new. A lot of people will laugh at that concept as impossible. You mean to tell me that God can take my perverted mind that is so messed up and goes in places where I don't want it to go. You mean to tell me that God can put the mind of Jesus here? And God says, yes. And so often we just laugh and we say, are you serious? There's no way. And God responds with, is there anything impossible for God? Everything is possible with God. But far too often, this same promise of God producing life within us, spiritual life that only exists with God, when God tells us these miraculous things he wants to do with us, far too often, we just laugh and don't put him to the test. He wants our response to be, please do it. I am yours. Do with me what you want. But in reality, many of us just go, you know, that's a cute idea. But you don't know my brain. You don't know my heart. You don't know the things I have done. That's all a lie. God knows exactly your heart and your mind and what you have done. And that promise 
Just like Abram and Sarah, they had royally messed things up, and God repeated that promise. That promise is still valid for the worst sinner that has ever walked the earth. It's possible for you. Don't laugh at the promises of God. If God promises he will do something in you, it's not hanging upon his promise, it's hanging on your willingness to accept his promise. The solution to both of these problems are spiritual deadness and unbelief and Abram's and Sarah's physical deadness and their unbelief is the same. It's the same solution. Take a look here at Genesis again, chapter 21. This is beautiful. Genesis 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the, notice, set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him, who Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Verse 4 talks about circumcision, but look at verse 5. And Abraham was a hundred years old, and when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. You know, the name Isaac means laughter, right? So Sarah here is saying it's ironic that God saw my laughter and proved me wrong. Praise the Lord, right? But that name Isaac does not only simply mean laughter. That name Isaac means the son of promise. The son of promise. The solution to Abraham's problem of not having any children and being physically dead, so to speak, was a child of promise. And when we take a look internally and we see our spiritual deadness, the solution is the same. A child of promise that came at a set time that is going to produce miracles for you. In fact, it is more miraculous and more powerful for a sinner's heart to be changed and a life to be changed than for God to open the womb of Sarah. It is far more miraculous and powerful for God to change your life than to call Lazarus from the dead. I mean, remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees, which is it easier to do, to tell this man, get up and walk, or to tell this man, your sins are forgiven? Of course, God wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead. Of course, he wanted that man to rise up and walk. Of course, he wanted to give Abraham and Sarah a child of their dreams. But above all of that, that is just an example, a physical example of what Christ wants to do in you. Christ longs for you to be born again. He longs for you to accept his promise of that new mind, that new heart, 
that new life. Our works produce sin. Just as Abram and Sarah tried to work around God, when we try and work to our salvation on our own power, we do the same. But again, please, if you remember anything today, remember this. Don't laugh at what God can do to you. Don't shake your head and think that it's impossible because it surely isn't. This is what God wants for his people. Do you believe that? Let's not laugh. Let's claim and watch God do his amazing work in you. Father, we hear the words of that song, Oh, for grace to trust you more. Father, you have never broken a promise. Your promises are always true. Lord, we need more grace. We need more faith that we will take you at your word and allow you to do that work within us. Help us not to laugh in unbelief, but Father, may we be in awe of what you can do in us. We pray in your name. Amen. You have been listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Big Rapids Seventh-day Adventist Church at 1031 Rose Avenue in Big Rapids, and their church service begins at 9.30 a.m. Or visit the Bristol Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 11225 East 8 Mile Road in Tustin. And their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. Or visit the Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 17290 U.S. Highway 10 in Hersey. And their church service begins at 3 p.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.